Welcome to TribCast. This is Steve Murdoch, and based on our current demographic trends, it is only a matter of time before a majority of Texans listen to this broadcast. And then now, here's your host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the TribCast. It is the third week of March, and joining me is CEO and Editor-in-Chief Evan Smith. Hey, Reeve. Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And Editor Emily Ramshaw. So am I last because we're having an equal pay conversation here and you don't think the woman in the podcast should get to be introduced Your first? time's up. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think you're a very good negotiator. Thank you. Yeah, I think and, you're, and you're busy. I, I Despite being busy, busy. Even though I'm you busy, found time to be here. I negotiated my pay. We'll see how you do and maybe we won't mention you last on the outro at the end. Okay. Is there an outro still? I provide it. I hope it's soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. how, about, how about now? Yeah, Does okay. now work for you? Well, since Emily brought it up, maybe she can brief us on the growing issue of equal pay in Texas. Well, the Wendy. Yes, earn your salary, Emily. Yeah, Go ahead. exactly. <laughs> uh, well, the Wendy Davis campaign has been increasingly beating the drum around uh, women's issues, and I think the latest strategy has been around equal pay. Uh, basically, uh, Davis sponsored the Lilly Ledbetter Act when it was coming through Texas, the Texas version of the Lilly Ledbetter Act that uh, Governor Perry eventually vetoed, even though it made its way through both chambers. Uh, she has, is basically has gone on the offensive against Abbott, saying as Attorney General. He defended the the state against uh, an equal pay lawsuit, uh, arguing that a lot of his um, disciples have not exactly been, um, you know, pro uh, equal pay for women. And the latest is uh, their allegations that um, the attorney general's office has not provided uh, equal pay for the top women in its ranks under Abbott's leadership. The Abbott campaign countered this by saying that one of Wendy Davis's public sector clients of her law firm. She defended them against an equal pay lawsuit, and she's she's been working both sides of this thing. But, you know, this is clearly an issue and clearly ground that the Democrats want to fight on and that the Republicans don't want to fight on. This is a completely Democratic frame. And it's day five or day six of this story. And I, it's and it's I, not like the missing airplane, though. It's not like it's, no, I know. Seriously, we woke up, no, we're still we going. actually know right. something. About <laughs> it. Yeah. No, the, I mean, the equal pay issue took a sharp left turn and <laughs> disappeared, right, disappeared into a. No, look. I think the fact that the story is still a story is testament to at least two things. The fact that it's gotten traction is a is a, is a credit to the people who've pushed it, not just the Davis campaign, but that side. There's been more message discipline than well, we've think, seen in right. the campaign so far, which I think, you know, there's a new communications person on the Davis campaign who came from, I believe, Harry – did he come from Harry Reid? I think that's right, yeah. Uh, and whether or his not office. this is a sign from his, from his office. Not like, like – like from his head like <laughs> – He, he came from Harry from and David, Minerva. and he actually brought a very nice package of dates with him. Um, <laughs> he came from, the, from Harry Reid's office, and, uh, and, and whether or not this is a sign of the communica- – speaking of sharp left turns, whether the communication staff has made a sharp – left turn and is now heading into um, a, a better patch uh, in terms of how they execute remains to be seen. But it, at least there's been message discipline on this issue. But I think the second thing is the Abbott campaign has not spiked this, has not done it a good job over the last couple of days in making this issue go away. And whether the surrogates who were put out to speak on this issue, the woman from Red State women, Christman is her name, mm-hmm. uh, or Beth Kubriel from the Republican Party, whether they were people who the Abbott campaign put out 
to address this issue or whether there were people who went out on their own to address this I issue. Think that, I think it's the latter. And I think that one of the things that's been interesting here is how opportunistic in, in a way that's beneficial to them the Davis campaign has been. They're distinctly – their tone is much more aggressive. They've been – I mean – and they've right, kept this the, alive by grabbing the every Davis little thing. Davis campaign did not cause the Abbott campaign – to fumble the ball right. as the ball has been fumbled well, so far. But you need to back up and explain how those two women fumbled well, the ball. I think one of the getting back to Ross's point about how Democrats want to fight on this and Rep- Republicans don't. I mean, if they're representative, then it's just shows that Republicans sort of don't know exactly how to fight on this because their arguments so have been they, problematic they, been, to say the they've least. They've been klutzy. The responses have been klutzy and have actually kept the story alive and made the story. They made it national. As of Morning Joe this morning, where they were openly mocking the Abbott campaign right. and openly mocking Republicans for what they have said. So, but what were their klutzy so let Ross, responses? Let Ross talk about that. Yeah. So, red state women started as an effort. Um, by some conservatives to, you know, encourage women to go with the Republicans in, in Texas, just sort of a generic right. thing. And women they, they, shouldn't just support Democrats. Right. We, too, have you know, a campaign to, we're gonna, to get women. We're going we're gonna to play for these voters. And they came out, I guess they announced themselves last week. And as part of their announcement tour, um, Carrie goes on WFA with Jason Carrie Wyman. is Carrie Christman, right, who yeah. is the head of Red State Women. Executive director. And... Uh, went on WFAA's Inside Politics on Sunday and talked about this and was asked by Jason Whiteley, um, what do you think about this equal pay issue? And she said, I don't think that we need the Lilly Ledbetter Act. Women are very busy right now. And that was the moment in the quote that everybody on the Democratic side grabbed, that women are too busy to pursue it this It became issue. a hashtag on Twitter, right. you know. They're seeking higher ed so, degrees. So so that takes off. And and then the second round, which Evan's referring to, is Beth Cubrio from the Texas Republican Party was on uh, YNN, I guess, Paul Brown's show. Yes. And um, said that, you know, women need to be better negotiators when they're talking about their salaries, but we don't need a Lilly Ledbetter Act. Um, Which, of course, is not what the Lilly Ledbetter Act was about. Well, what it was about know, was all, a, it was a legal mechanism, as I understand it, right? It was not really it, about equal pay. So much but in both cases, you're putting mechanism. the onus for the lower pay on the woman herself. Right. And if you're talking about problem. equal pay for women and your and your line from your governor is and from your attorney general is, I believe in equal pay for women, Lilly Ledbetter Act is not the way to get there. That doesn't really comport with these lines that these two are dropping. And so they've got all this noise on their side. The Davis campaign has pounced and controlled the week. It, re- it reads as if the Abbott campaign was caught flat-footed mm-hmm. on this issue. I think that's right. And honestly, or they certainly if, act you're, like if you're looking at the way this campaign was going to play out and you go back a couple months ago, you had to know – that this issue is going to come up. Well, the Wendy Davis folks How could have, you get caught flat-footed yeah, I mean, they've really effectively pivoted. I mean, you know, again, she was really – she was playing defense earlier on uh, around her biography. And I think the only um, successful way you could spin that message is to turn it around and say this is an attack on me as a woman. And this equal pay stuff has fallen, you know, right into that category and allowed them to really aggressively take that, that position. It's the second one, too, because the Ted uh, Nugent the stuff Nugent, opened the door to this right. conversation. Which was also at least – least six days of news. And so I want to ask I want to ask a broad question, if I can, about that. So Nugent plus the equal pay stuff, which is, is the Abbott campaign taking this race as seriously as they should? Because the, the, these unforced errors are the kinds of unforced errors you make when you don't really view your opponent as serious. You had to know going into the Nugent thing that Nugent was controversial. You had to know going into this issue that it was going to come up. And you had to have better talking points prepared to push back on it. And they've just seemed kind of not 
prepared for any of this. Well, no, no worse prepared than Davis was for the obvious attack on her bio. R- or or right, her but, ethics, which drove the conversation for a whole week last right. week. R- right. But, but the assumption was that the Davis campaign was not ready for primetime, fair or unfair. The assumption was that the Abbott campaign was a well-oiled machine, $30 million in the bank, Dave Carney and see, team I, in place. I never bought that. See, but I actually thought – I thought that the, that the idea that the Abbott campaign was going to make unforced errors – this was said by opponents of Abbott. I thought the Abbott campaign is going to just basically be very cautious, not do things that are going to get them into, into trouble. All they have to do is essentially run the clock out on this and the math's going to work in their favor. And it's the it's a Davis campaign that has the burden not to make unforced errors, you're not you're the getting, Abbott campaign. You're getting mad at them for being cautious. His well, I'm answer, not mad, on the, I'm not mad yeah, at anybody. He's being cautious, yeah. I'm not mad at anybody. I mean, not mad. I think, I think from a journalism standpoint, he it's like mad it's, no, I'm not mad even for a moment. I think <laughs> it's now great. you're mad that we said you were mad. Well, I'm mad at you, also. <laughs> but no, I don't think that they're being cautious. No, I his think, answer to the Lily Ledbetter question was very cautious. It was like, I support equal pay. I don't know if that's the right thing, but we'll think about it. And equal no reason pay women is should great. be paid less than men. Yeah. And, and on. It was mind, very cautious. It was that, very cautious answer, and that yeah. was that's what opened the door to like, oh, attack, attack. To my attack. mind, that's actually not caution. To my mind, that's where's you know you got to have an answer for this. The we're still in the stage of the whole thing. Still, is, the whole thing has been klutzy. We're still setting the table for this race, and and they're still putting the issues out for this race. And the Davis campaign is clearly going to talk about women's issues and women's place in public policy and those kinds of issues as this goes on. And they they would like to talk less about abortion and about the filibuster as an abortion bill and more about sort of general women's issues. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at numbers in all the polls, our polls and everybody else's, to say, you know, women on average are Democrats. And if you can get them to vote, then then you might stand a chance. The Abbott campaign is going the other way and talking about, you know, this should be about um, ethics and competence and those kinds of things and, and who we really are. And I think part of what we're seeing here is that neither of these candidates has run a big-time statewide campaign. Abbott's run statewide several times, but he's never been – in the center. It's a down ballot race. He's never been in the center ring with all the lights on. And I think both these candidates are acting like this is their first big time. But the people are but, see, but again, I'm making a distinction between the candidate and the campaign. The, the people who've run, who are running the Abbott campaign have a ton of experience running statewide campaigns with the spotlights on them. Well, and this is unlike how they've typically behaved. Yeah, but look how many campaigns that Rick Perry ran, and look at all his unforced errors. I mean, well, the difference between a, a national campaign and a statewide campaign, I think, is what Ross is getting at. That there's a difference between the t- campaign at the top of the ticket and the campaign that's further down. Back. Well, and the people that you're talking about having great experience in this stuff are the people who ran Rick Perry's campaigns, and they had the advantage in those campaigns, at least for the last, you know. <laughs> 13 or 14 of them, <laughs> right. of a very experienced candidate, a guy who right. knew, you know, kind of knew what he was doing and was comfortable on stage in front of even even hostile crowds on the Jimmy Kimmel show. So I, I think Abbott and Davis are finding, you know, sort of their comfort zone, figuring out how they're going to run this. I, I, I still think we're setting the table both for the issues that are going to be in this race and for the way the candidates are going to behave. They're learning how to fight each other. And I think the ethics stuff, which is where the Abbott people are going to push back on this equal pay stuff, at least that's been that's been the strategy as of today as we sit here, is to push back and right. say – hashing up her legal clients right. again. i got to tell you, I think that's got less traction. with the, it's, it's harder to, to understand. I think the, 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 the casual person listens to it. I don't think so. Oh, I do. I, do, you, do, you, do you think, I think you that, 
write it. I think you can write these. You don't think the well. average voter says public sector client and it's like. I think I think neither of you are casual people. It didn't work with Mark <laughs> Shelton, who went after Wendy Davis in that race on almost a purely an ethics. I mean, all these allegations against her have come up before. I think mean to women is a lot easier to process if you're the average person than public sector client. Does it, didn't uh, didn't uh, uh, recuse herself. Uh, Right. I mean, I, I just think that's a harder argument. It sounds like more of an insidery argument than mean to women. Does it does it matter uh, how much the substance of the Davis attack on Abbott's AG's office ultimately holds up? You know, it looks like there are many state agencies that don't have many highly paid women, uh, not just the AG's office in Texas. Does it? Will that? ultimately detract from her messaging or is it more just about they raise the issue and there's enough there there that it's up to the uh, Abbott people to respond better? I think if you'd looked at any state agency under these circumstances, right. not just Abbott's, I mean, I think, you know, again, you can hold Abbott accountable for this because he was the one at the top of that agency for the last X number of years, 12, home, 12 years. Um, you know, I, I would say you'd probably look at almost any organization in Texas, any agency in Texas, and you would find, maybe nationally and see right. the exact same trend. But, but, but Peggy Fikak has a story in the Express News today that says that on average women in the attorney general's office that a certain the top tier top right. tier are paid less than men. Now that may be a true fact. It also may be may or may not be a fact that is in need of some context internally or that office compared to other offices. But the fact is that's the story that ran the Express News today. That's what's getting a little bit of heat on social media today. And ultimately what that does is extend the long already long tail of this story even longer. It's it's not going to help him politically that any other agency did this or that some agencies are much worse than his because right. he's the only one running for governor. Right. Well, yeah. one of the things that we were hoping to talk about today, I think, was uh, the lieutenant governor's debate. But it's not going to happen since, or lack thereof. since the debate didn't happen. Uh, only one sock showed up for the sock puppet show. David Dewhurst showed up and, and Dan Patrick didn't. And so how'd that go down, Ross? Uh, the C-Club in Houston... Um, has a you know closed Republican meeting every so often. I think it's monthly, but I'm not sure of that. And they invited Patrick and Dewhurst to come debate before the C Club. And both of them, knowing that it was a closed meeting, apparently said, "Yeah, I'll do that." And then when it came out that this was you know came out publicly that they were going to have a public you know they were going to have a debate Private. in this runoff and that the public couldn't come and that the media couldn't come, Dan Patrick said. I think you should open it to the public. And then David Dewhurst said, I think you should open it to the public. The club said no. Dan Patrick said, I'm out. So David Dewhurst did it alone. And uh, his communications guy tweeted that he won, hands down. Well, you know, <laughs> must be present to win. Do, do we think uh, – I mean, this is just – do we think that that is the reason Dan Patrick dropped out? Or do we have to take him at his word on that? I think There's uh, no reason not to. I mean, he's got – you know, there's all kinds of advantages to this. You sort of – Win the free media without having to risk, you know, appearing in a debate. I think the group is going to endorse in about a month. And I think there was some sentiment among the Patrick people that this group is probably going to endorse Dewhurst. I don't know that they're going to. So you think that's why this all went down? Well, I mean, it, I mean, there's just a bunch of stuff that's there. I mean, I, I, let's take him at his word. Let's take him at, you know, he wanted this to be public. It wasn't. So he dropped out. But there are some ancillary benefits here. One of them is that, you know, he's he's appearing before a group that he thinks might be David Dewhurst's group. Uh, it's a group that's, you know, made up of people who have largely already decided what they're going to do. Um, they're more interesting if you're a candidate as a as in the finance primary than in the in the voting primary. These are people with money. It's not that many votes in the room, but there's a lot of wallets. So 
I think a lot of that plays, but I think Dan Patrick figured, you know, purpose has already been served without me doing this debate. I'm not going to do the debate. Goodbye. And it hits a note that resonates with the people that cover him. I wonder if, if Patrick's approach to this is I am in a significant lead over Dewhurst going into this runoff. And the, the, the challenge for Dewhurst in the next two months is so formidable that I don't really need to do joint appearances with Dewhurst. I don't really need to be out there. What I need to be doing is effectively taking a victory lap. I need to be collecting Let's go Rose late, late right. train fundraisers. I need to be, you know, late, late train uh, donors, pardon me. I need to be collecting um, support from the campaigns that are out of this race, from the Staples and the, and, and the Patterson folks. Uh, I need to be doing that. I need to be basically building bridges a little bit, right? I don't need to be attacking Dewhurst because ultimately the math on this runoff is so formidable for Dewhurst to overcome that something really seismic is going to have to happen for me to lose. And so maybe there's more risk in appearing alongside Dewhurst than in not. And does it hurt them at all if they never show up together, if they never have a debate? Well, I think they might have something scheduled together. At it some does point. if they never have a debate, because you know that Ted Cruz showed you what happens if you never right. have a debate. But you know you can have enough debates. Yeah, but is but is Dewhurst in the position at this point to say to to use that Dan Patrick won't debate me as a billy club against him? And will the people look? We this know this is a public guy. He's got a radio show and he's afraid to be on a stand with here's, me. He's here's, scared. Here's he's the, not going to debate. Dan Patrick, the, the the hero of the right wing. I'm looking forward to the Ross Ramsey Evan Smith debate. Ross, here's the deal. You talk a lot faster than Dewhurst does. Ross. Here is here is the deal. Seventy-two uh, percent of the people in this primary voted against Dewhurst. He only got twenty-eight percent. Patrick got forty-one percent. So, if you assume that there's fifty-nine percent who did not vote for Patrick, then Dewhurst needs to get as many of those people as possible to get above fifty uh, in in the runoff. Um, if he got every single person who voted for Staples and Patterson, and every single person who voted for him in the primary. That's 59%. If you didn't vote in the primary, you can't vote in the runoff. The, the universe of potential votes for him, if you assume that all the people who voted for Patrick who vote are going to vote for Patrick again, the universe of potential votes for him in this runoff is not very Pretty great. Small, right? And you, you'd have to believe that some of the Staples people are not going to jump over and vote for Patrick. You'd have to believe that some of the Patterson people are not going to jump over and vote for Patrick. And you'd have to believe that some of the Patterson and Staples people are not just simply going to stay home. The task for him is pretty significant. Right. So he can beat up Dewhurst – pardon me, Patrick, for not getting in a debate with him. He can spend a whole lot of his family's money in this runoff. And he – you know, there's a question as to did he spend enough of his own money in the run-up to the primary? Is he going to spend enough of anybody's money? Is he going to then turn around and spend it in, right. the, in the runoff? But for him, the task is, is – I'm, I'm not sure that from Patrick's standpoint, pulling out of this debate – is necessarily a bad move strategically because he's the one in the catbird seat. I think pulling out of this debate was probably fine. I think if he pulls out of all the debates, that's a different that's a different issue. Meanwhile, should we be celebrating the the victory for public debates? What in the hell is he talking about? You know, like, I mean, a victory for having Patrick, events in Patrick the Patrick struck a blow for keeping those doors opened. I mean, nah. <laughs> I don't think anybody really thinks this was about that, was it? No, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure that there's a giant clamor for debates from these guys. Both, I mean, the, you know, both the, these the, guys the accepted an invitation them, that the club says they knew was for a private the, gathering. The four of them, the four of them before the the first round, 
you know, it was like a every other night they had a, an appearance together. You know, it's not and that it we haven't the, heard the views of these people. And it was almost the same we, thing every time. We haven't seen them on stage together. I think we'll see these two on stage together a couple of three times. Um, we you might and see I them. could actually simulate right here. Probably could like do like an old radio play. You want to do it? You be Patrick. I'll be doing. Call, call him off like call him off like. Um, you be Patrick. Tell me I'm incompetent. <laughs> Tell me that I created Wendy Davis. Tell me that I flip flopped on immigration. Right. right. I'll be Dewhurst and. And what will you say? <laughs> you're a liar. <laughs> I'll say you're a liar. He was eloquent, wasn't he? <laughs> the ratings for this podcast is going through the roof right I mean, now. You know, we know. <laughs> I think Evan's version of me doing be. Patrick was better than Evan's version of Evan doing Dewhurst. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, while we're on the topic of Republican infighting, notice that Emily didn't have a role to play in that. Debate, oh, you sexist! We have an equal time problem now. We do, yeah. Sorry, I was checking my email. <laughs> you could be Jerry Patterson in the background, just uh, grumbling. Yeah, hiring investigators. Hiring investigators. Yeah, yeah, on the phone with your investigator. I didn't ask you to be part of that debate. Right. Exactly. Uh, there was an interesting thing that happened yesterday. Uh, Michael Quinn Sullivan, who is the head of the Empowered Texans group, which has a political action committee that has given a lot of money to uh, Ken Paxton, who is running for attorney general. He, uh, Sullivan is also a contributor to Breitbart Texas, which is the Texas vertical for Breitbart.com, which is a conservative website. Uh, he emailed the branch campaign, which is Paxton's opponent, and said, hey, I'm on a tight deadline. I have these questions. Pro-lifers have accused you guys of uh, putting an amendment that would have been not very pro-life back in 2005, and it didn't specify. Do, they, they were saying it had something to do with third trimester abortions. Right? Yeah, but and so instead of, uh, and we can get into that. But instead of instead of responding to Michael Quinn Sullivan, Dan Branch's campaign through, through his spokesman, through his spokesman Enrique Marquez, just put out a huge press release, being like, sort of, it was pretty staid language-wise, but it was like, I don't. This guy's acting like a reporter. We don't really buy it, but here's sort of what this attack is all about. And and by the way, the organization that he leads endorsed Ken Paxton, Dan Branch's opponent, and gave him a ton of money. Gave him more than more than a quarter two, million, two hundred eighty thousand, something yeah. like that. Right. Uh, and the the substance of the argument is that in two thousand five there was a bill curbing third trimester abortions. Dan Branch tried to add an amendment that would have made an exception for uh, fetuses with uh, uh, irreversibly uh, severe vital organ impairments. And that motion got tabled. They left in something with irreversibly severe brain impairments. Uh, and so Branch's team sort of argued, well, it's, you know, Paxton supported the brain thing and not the vital organ thing, so why doesn't you criticizing him for uh, uh, legislation that would have allowed for the termination of viable babies? There's but also a disagreement me. within the pro-life community or the community of pro-life activists. Right. Joe Poyman is cited by the branch campaign and Joe Poyman of Texas Alliance for Life is, is right. cited by the branch campaign as, as saying that the argument made by the other side is uh, is is ridiculous. But then Elizabeth Graham, I believe, is quoted as, as being supportive of the Paxton view of the branch. I mean, there's, there's a sort of family disagreement within the pro-life community. About right. And there's a disagreement about there is language in the major abortion bills that have passed recently that has stuff about uh, – you know, severe fetal abnormalities or something. And so it's sort of like you can read into this what you want if that's significantly different from a vital organ impairment or not. The conversation around this has seemed less about the specifics of, of abortion it's in this less case. Less about abortion than journalism. And, yeah, and more, and about more about Michael, Michael Quinn-Sullivan's Quinn role as, a, you know, a quote-unquote journalist for Breitbart. 
And to be fair to Sullivan, he did not say he was a journalist. He and, said, I'm on a tight deadline. Yeah, He's and, a columnist. And he disclosed. They did also, disclose is that he, he – Is he a columnist? Well, he's, well, he's writing – you can say he's writing for these guys and, you know, writing, whatever you want to call it. You know, he's writing – He's writing for these guys. He is writing about the he's race. He's a contributor. He's not contributor. saying while he's writing about the race that he's participating in the race. So well, there's a, actually, there's though, a blur- the piece that ultimately ran on Breitbart on this very subject – He did say that. Uh, – disclosed at the bottom Said that, that he Sullivan's organization Paxton. supports – that the organization okay. Sullivan leads uh, uh, disclosed supports Paxton. Oh, it's, it's not clear if they were going to do that before they got all this attention or not. But, you know, they did it, so good for them. But uh, And the piece is also not just authored by Sullivan. It's Sullivan and Brandon Darby and Logan Churchwell. So it's several of the other people mm-hmm. who are contributors to Breitbart who did a joint byline deal. And it was pretty much exactly as Sullivan re- represented it to the branch campaign. Right. Well, the, I think the thing is you uh, – Sullivan, long before he was a columnist or contributor or reporter for Breitbart Texas, has been sort of a – influencer in the capital but you're seeing more and more people willing to strike out against him i think like would have well it's because his 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 ability and his his clout has increased and as his clout has increased so has the resistance to it when, so you, be- saw, when you become dominant right you're a target you know they got to hit you back so uh, bob duel this is playing out in the in the Dallas senate district two race between bob duel and bob hall. bob hall um empower texans michael quinn sullivan Put a bunch of money into mailers on Hall's behalf against Duel. Duel got forty some odd percent, forty eight something like that, and they're going into a runoff. Um, he was a player in the Keffer race over in Keffer versus Colin Crisp, and you know uh, Keffer took some swings directly at Sullivan. You know, the, and the, Jason and Jason Vialba has been effectively on a right. speaking tour around the state, or has now mm-hmm. gone on a speaking tour. The, the question for candidates to attack actually, that side, maybe more than to attack Sullivan. By name specifically. It's actually sort of interesting. I mean, if you're a candidate and you're defending yourself and you find yourself attacking the supporters of your opponent instead of your opponent, you know, did they effectively draw your fire off of the opponent? You know, so, you know, one of the one of the questions that, you know, gets answered in these races, I guess, is, is it an effective tactic to run against Empower Texans and Michael Quinn Sullivan, or should you just keep your eye on the ball and run against and is, your opponent? And honestly, is that an insider argument? Well, that's the point, yeah. Does anybody in the, in the vast population outside the insiders who pay attention to this stuff as we all do at the micro level that they know michael quinn sullivan from from adam i mean i i don't know that or tim Dun, even tim dunn you hear tim dunn's name you know bob Dool was quoted in the dallas morning news saying michael quinn sullivan and tim dunn are destroying the republican party some version of that in the name right. of conservatism and he had a mailer in his but campaign but the reality that, is who in the hell knows who tim dunn is right he I'm had a mailer sure in his campaign that said, know who tim said dunn is. 98% of bob hall's money comes from one guy in midland who is that guy that was that was the mailer so you know again you're, are you running against hall or are you running against dunn who's not on the ballot and who and who and again who nobody really right knows um but it but so the sort of horizontally the conversation is about Sullivan and those guys. Vertically, the conversation is about what is or who is journalism today, because you've got this other story that's been playing out more sort of quiet, more, more quietly, but it's been playing out where one of the affiliated Sullivan Dunn organizations, a blog called Agenda Wise, has been asking for permission to live stream at the Capitol and for you know effectively to be treated as the rest Floor of the press. Floor credentials, right? Floor credentials, right? And and they're and they either are intending to sue or have sued. To get access under the guise that they're no different than any other organization uh, uh, seeking such uh, credentials. And so we're coming to a place where there's going to have to be – and I don't know who it is and I don't know how they do it. But there's going to have to be some kind of uh, decision about 
where is the line and who gets over the line and who doesn't in terms of being considered journalism. It's a, it's a new world. Well, they knocked maybe a, Maybe a writing test. They're not – yeah. Wow, that could be dangerous up here. I was going to say let's try that in our office and see who passes. We're going to lay off a lot of people. Right. Then, I mean this is sort of the fundamental thing about, about digital media. They knocked down the wall. You don't have to buy a printing press. Everybody has a printing press. So if everybody can and everybody does, then what's the difference between A and B? It's just, you know – Anybody know, with a computer right. can now say, hey, I'm a journalist. Right. Well, if anyone out there would like to submit their writing tests for credentials, we'll they give can press credentials to yeah, <laughs> They can send them to tribcast at texastribune.org. Uh, in the meantime, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Emily, Ross, Woo! she's first, Evan, and our producer Todd, this Equal is Reeve. Outro. Thanks for listening. My life is too short to to have to look at this shit on Twitter.